Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached when I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom. I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 324, The Oscillated Turkey, with Tony Caggiano. And I am your co-host, and the guy who is as broke as he's ever been. And I am your co-host and the guy who is not going to break his streak tonight. Mm-hmm. So you're eating string cheese? No. Well, actually, that is I did do that, but <laughs> that wasn't even the one I was talking about. <laughs> uh, I still there's something about podcasting and string cheese, man. They go together. <laughs> that is a little something something the listeners don't know about Cameron Weddington. Every episode. Cameron eats two things of string cheese while we're recording. <laughs> it, it literally is clockwork at this point. It's, it's ingrained in my brain that when the Skype app <laughs> rings on my computer, I immediately run to the fridge and grab two string cheeses. It, that is so true because you do not answer within about 10 rings. Yeah, I got to get the cheese, man. Mm-hmm. But that isn't even the streak I was talking about. I was no. talking about... 
I haven't watched a full football game this entire year. Yeah, I can say and I'm that talking it, 2020 to now, so. Yeah, I can say the same thing. I haven't watched a full game, and I really haven't watched much of any one game, except for the fact that when Tammy had her surgery, she wanted to watch a game or two. I can't remember. So the games were on the TV, but I didn't really watch them. I was working, but still in the mm -hmm. same room with her while the game was on. So tonight, I have a feeling, well, tonight, so you guys listening to the show, is the college football playoff championship game, where my beloved Crimson Tide will be taking on the Buckeyes from the state of Ohio. But I'll be sitting by the fire working. But again, I think my bride will be watching the game. I'm pretty sure it'll be on the TV. Yeah, I got back into it when Tennessee looked pretty good early in the year. And then at halftime of the Georgia game was feeling good and watched a couple minutes of the second half, turned it off, hadn't watched any football since then. Such is the life of a Tennessee fan. Not this one. I wouldn't even consider myself that anymore. I'm, I'm done with them. 110% done. If I had a dollar for every Tennessee fan I've heard say that in the past, oh, eight years, I don't believe I'd have to go into work tomorrow. I'm going to back mine up. I'm done. It is over. So you know, I've still got I wish some, them all the best. But. I've got some crimson and white jerseys, or not jerseys, but shirts around here if you want me to ship you one or two. I'd rather just not watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. That's fine. Yeah, I'm just not going to watch. So it'll be all right. We will survive without it. But that's my streak, not string cheese. That's my streak. Okay. All right. Why well, are you? What did you say? You're a broke man? What I, did am, you say? I am a broke man for sure. Oh, man. Unicoi got you again, huh? I'm telling you, between, <laughs> between turkey collars and... Bourbon, that trip costs me a fortune. <laughs> so I probably shouldn't say this on the show because, you know, it's, well, I guess it's really not bootlegging unless I'm selling it to others after that alcohol has crossed state lines. But what the heck, because the state of Alabama is in the liquor business and controls the liquor business, in the state of Alabama, we have very limited selection of whiskeys, bourbon, vodka, scotch, on and on and on in the state of Alabama. It's whatever the state feels like they want to sell is what can be sold within the state. Well, yeah. the state of Georgia and also the state of Tennessee, where you live, don't have that same philosophy and their states are not in the business of selling alcohol. They're in the business of taxing it, but not selling it. And so there's no real restrictions on what brands of alcohol are available in Georgia. And so every year when I go to Unicoi, it's like a treasure hunt. Mm. This year, ah. it was a little over a thousand dollars of a treasure hunt. Man. Now, a lot of that will be gifted, but nice. that was a thousand dollars in liquor. Now let's talk about turkey collars. I am <laughs> looking... And we're, we're, I've got some interviews from Unicoi. We're going to get into a lot of Unicoi next week. And I'm going to tell you guys about the show. I'm going to play some of the calls that I have. But 
I am looking at five, seven, about $1,000 in turkey collars right now. Now, some of those are going to be gifted, and some of them I'll be reimbursed for, but that's just in product. I'm not talking about the cost of a hotel room, the cost of gasoline, the cost of meals. That trip costs me a fortune, and I love it. <laughs> yep. I believe it, man. I had a great time. It was a really good show. Like I said, I'm not going to dive into it too much this episode. We'll talk about it more next week because we have a great show today, and I don't want to take away from our guest that we have on the show today by talking oh, yeah. too much about Unicoi, but it's awesome. I hate that you and Audrey missed it. For any of you guys listening to the show who wanted to come and you didn't come to Unicoi, you missed out listening next week i'll fill you in on all the details yeah uh, right now can't wait to get there one day but yeah you're right we got an awesome show this week we really do and on top of the awesome show we have today we're in our 60s right now we are 65 days 12 hours four minutes and nine seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in alabama i'll tell you what is even more intense you and I, we're going to be turkey hunting in 29 days, 14 hours and 57 minutes. Mm-hmm. The countdown to a winter turkey whacking in Utah is on. Mm-hmm. Less than a month. Can I just tell you that I was downstairs in my office at the house today working, and I could just, it, it was very muffled, but I could hear, Andy, Andy, get me out. <laughs> Get me out. It's Black, Black Death. Death. Yeah. <laughs> Black Death calling to me from the gun safe. Somehow she knows. I mean, she's she's like your lab Mac. You bring yeah. out one stitch of camo clothing and Mac goes crazy. Yeah, he knows. He knows. Black Death knows. She knows it's time is coming. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is crazy, guys. I mean, you got to think, in 51 days... We're going to be hunting here in Florida for spring turkey season. That That is not long. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's right there. So it really get your is. guns oiled up, boys. It's coming. Like it or not, it'll be here soon. It'll be here soon. I like it. I'm ready for it. Sweet. Well, if you're wanting to hunt one of the more unique, quote unquote, turkeys, we got a show for you about how to go get him. And actually, I think if you want to go there early and i'm pretty sure they're sold out this year so i may say it this way if you're going there early i think you can hunt now is it the 10th yeah. that their season started i honestly i do not know so i'm not it's sometime this month so if it has not started yet it's starting very soon and yeah. that is the oscillated season in campeche mexico yep man i mean to think that you could or someone could be going to Mexico this week to hunt oscillated, kill there, come home, have a winter turkey hunt somewhere around the U.S., slip on down into Florida for a March turkey hunt. Then we know the rest of the country comes in all the way and runs up into June. That's a lot of turkey hunting to be had between now and the end of Maine's season or michigan's season which i think might be the last one to go out isn't it is it michigan yeah i think michigan or maine i think they go about the same time 
Yeah. Don't don't get my fiendish brain working like that, all right? <laughs> my body and my wallet can't take it, man. Don't get me thinking that way. Yeah. My my brain wants it, but the body can't take it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. I understand. So that's oh. what we're talking about today. And we have Tony Caggiano with World Slam Adventures on the show with us today. And Tony's a wealth of knowledge about the oscillated turkey because he's hunted them several times. And not only that, but he books hunts for a lot of the oscillated outfitters in Mexico. So if you guys are interested in an oscillated hunt, that is not one that you're just going to say, you know what, I'll just go down there and hunt public land. That ain't happening. So Ain't going to happen, Jack. Yeah, you're going to need an outfitter for that one. And Tony knows the good ones. So I really, I enjoyed this episode. You know, it's kind of a, a little bit about the oscillated, a little bit about hunting oscillated and, you know, getting them back into the country. I mean, it, it just it kind of covers a whole experience. And so it was interesting for me and enjoyable for me. It's one of those things I have on my bucket list. And one of these days, yeah, I hope to be chasing them in, in the Campeche Peninsula. Yeah. I, he got me pretty fired up about it. It's not really something I've thought about doing, but I will say now it's entered the, the mind for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's actually the Yucatan Peninsula, but yeah. I think it's the state of Campeche is where the birds are. Most of I don't the know how that works down there. I think I'll just call him and ask, what do I need to do to kill one? And yeah. hopefully hook me up. <laughs> yeah. He'll know what to do for sure. Yeah. So let's jump in and let's hear what, Tony has to say about the oscillated. All right, y'all tune in. We'll see you guys after the interview. Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are excited to tell you guys that we have on the line with us this evening, Tony Caggiano with World Slam Adventures and with Wild Game Based. And we are going to talk about the turkey that does not look like a turkey to some people. And I just have to trust the biologist on this one when they say it's a turkey. But I know that joker's got some daggers on it. And we're talking about the oscillated turkeys today. So, Tony, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chat with us this evening and give us some edumacation on the peacocks. I mean, the <laughs> oscillated turkeys. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a... I'm good, man. It's a pleasure to be here and get on with you guys. I'm always... I'm always down to talk turkeys, so this is uh, this is fun stuff, man. I love it. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard this a million times because I know I have. When I mention something about the oscillated turkey, people will say that's not really a turkey; it doesn't have a beard. Yeah, I mean, you know, technically they're a, they're a, they're actually a separate subspecies, a separate species, right? So all of yeah. the turkeys that we chase, aside from them, so you're. Your Easterns, Osceola, Goulds, Rios, Miriams, the whole gamut, they're all a species and the separate subspecies of that. Whereas the oscillated is also a turkey, but it's the other turkey species. So they are, they're, you know, obviously they look different when you see them just because of the colors are so different. They don't have a beard. But when you look at the build of the bird, you can see when you're hunting them, you look, you go up, they're smaller, but they're very much, you know, a turkey. Their caruncles are a little funkier, a little more colorful with mm -hmm. red and yellow on the blue skin. Um, they What they lack in beards, they make up for in, in spurs, man, because there's no spurs like oscillated spurs, you know? Yeah. 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 The ones I've seen are, are huge. 
more like daggers. Yeah, I mean, I shot I shot a nice one, and it was and it was right at two inches, but an average, you know, a good a good mature bird is going to sport an inch and a half, inch and a quarter is like on the small side for these guys, and I've seen some that are there's some recorded that are over two inches. My personal best is exactly two inches on each spur, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, that's those are some hooks. No yeah, doubt. man, no doubt. So the oscillated hunt is something that you help hunters to line up, get yeah. with the right outfitters and so on and so forth with World Slam Adventures. So tell us a little bit about the company. Tell us a little bit about the hunt and let's roll with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a, a full-time hunting guide for full-time for 18 and a half years. But before that, I guided freelance for, for turkeys exclusively when I was freelancing, it was just turkeys for another, oh, seven years before that. And I always loved turkey hunting. It was a huge passion of mine. I also guided for upland birds and ducks, geese, whitetail, all sorts of stuff. But for me, turkeys was what I love to do. I would hunt generally in an average season. I'd hunt seven or eight states for years. I did that. But as a guide, I had a lot of clients who came and hunted with me and they want, we all decided, hey, we should go on some turkey hunts. At my turkey season was the month of May. So that gave me a lot of time where I could hunt other subspecies before that because the seasons, May is one of the later seasons in New York. Yeah, I couldn't travel during the month of May because I was hunting every day with clients. But before that, I would put together trips with clients and we would hunt. We went and hunted Rios and Miriams, a little bit of everything, you know. Mm-hmm. But I found that when I was looking to book turkey trips, turkey hunts, I would reach out. You either had to, A, reach out directly with outfitters, and I didn't know the outfitters. I was really just it was going cold turkey, so to speak, you know, just going in there cold. And we had some really less than stellar experiences, right? Yeah. So what I did, so you either do that. So the next thing I did was I reached out to like a booking agent when Cabela's was around then and a couple other guys. And I found that with some of these booking agents, because the turkey hunts are, it's a relatively inexpensive hunt, right? You can, you can do a turkey hunt even now and prices are getting, are going up. A real grand turkey hunt, you could do it for twelve, thirteen hundred dollars for a three-day hunt with two or three birds involved. Miriams are right around there, Easterns. But those guys were also booking brown bear and sheep hunts. So they're talking about huge commissions. And it felt like to me, and I'm not pointing fingers at any one particular company, but as a guy who's just looking turkey hunt, it felt like I, we weren't a priority, right? Turkey hunters, because a commission on a turkey hunt back then an $800 Rio Grand hunt, a commission was $105, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. $87. So the guys weren't super stoked to work with me and get really involved and do what I wanted to do. They were helpful and they would book the hunts. So I just got to the point where I, I knew a lot of people in the industry. I'm good friends with Ray. I, he helped a lot. If you guys are, if you guys know Brian Lovett, he was with, you know, Turkey and Turkey hunting magazine back yep. in the day and NWTF. I talked to Brian Paul Butsky, a bunch of guys that I knew in the industry. And they, I said, hey, do you know any outfitters that are like really killer outfitters, have a great hunt, good birds, a good experience? And they introduced me to guys. And so I started to put together this collection of outfitters and go into these guys. And I put together a great collection of really good turkey hunting outfitters that I was working with. So I decided that, hey, I should start a company that just, that focuses on helping turkey hunters like me book, you know, a these killer hunts, Grand Slams, Royal Slams, World Slams, 
super slams we're even working on now. So that's how World Slam came to be because of frustration and just being a, uh, having a love of turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those clients, clients who I booked full World's, World Slams for, said to me, you know, why don't you, I want to go hunt a mule deer. Can you do that? Can I do this? Because they like what I do for them, the yeah. uh, service I provide. Because I don't, I'm a, I'm a no-fee travel agency. If I work out, I work out a commission with an outfitter and that's it. So I help you book your airfare. There's no there's no commission there. It was really about being just completely obsessed with turkey hunting and wanting to to uh, help others like me. It was a labor of love, and it took it was a lot of years of operating. Basically, everything I made with the company went back into the company and tried to use that to meet more outfitters and that sort of stuff. But now it's it's grown quite a bit, and we've done a lot of stuff. We were we're filming a bunch of stuff this year, and we're adding a bunch of new outfitters. We got guys in Hawaii and all over the place. So, you know, I'm really lucky in that now I'm, I'm not a hunting guide anymore. I left that in 2017 and mm-hmm. I'm a full time between booking the turkey hunts with World Slam and my uh, my cooking, the wild game based podcast and the cooking we do. And I also am the U.S. sales manager for 20 lodges in South America for bird hunting and stuff. So, like, I was really fortunate that I, got, I found a way to stay in this industry that I love. I mean, we all love it, right? And I could do it for a living from the comfort of my home. It's a lot more hours than most people would imagine, but yeah, you know, there's a there's a long explanation to a, a very short question you asked me, but that's about it, man, on the World Slam Adventures. Yeah, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a fun ride. I met a lot of really cool people, and we've done a lot of cool stuff, lots of cool a lot of cool hunts and different types of adventures for people. And you know, it's, it's only getting better. We got a lot of really new, different kind of experiences that we're working on now so it should be awesome yeah so so somebody can rather than just booking one hunt with you they can literally be like hey i want a royal slam and you you arrange the whole deal for them yeah so i've done you know i've helped guys a lot of guys will come in and they'll start off with hunting a bird that they oh nobody that they've never hunted a big one is a miriams because they got the white tail feathers you know what i mean that seems to be for guys who are hunting easterns or Osceola's especially, they want to get that white tail feather. The uh, the guys down in Texas who are hunting reels, they want to kill one of those big giant Easterns that even though they're not the original turkey, that's kind of what everybody focuses on as uh, like the quintessential wild turkey is always pictured as an Eastern. I know I'm pissing off a lot of guys down in Florida or Texas when I say that, but that's kind of, you know, <laughs> it's kind of, it, no, but it is. It's kind of like that's, yeah. you see it on the magazines and when you look in, in places, you always, they always put, seem to put an Eastern. But yeah, but a lot of guys will just start off with one hunt and come back to finish their slams. I've booked. It's difficult for for this year coming because of so many guys being pushed back from 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult on a lot of my outfitters are really booked. I try to tell guys to book early for that reason. But I also book, you know, a single season world slam or or grand slams are very common and we're filming. We tried it last year and this year my partner in Wild Game Base, Jeremiah Dowdy and I will be filming a single season world slam so we're really excited about that but there's nothing there's nothing we can't can't do on the turkey end we may we don't have outfitters in every state but if there's a state that these super slammers need i put in the effort and talk to the people i know and we've been pretty good at getting in all new states i'm trying to have an outfitter working to have outfitters in all 49 states where there's hunting so it's pretty exciting yeah that's awesome that's you know if you can get that put together that'll be a great resource for a lot of people because so many people are trying to get their super slam currently and you know some of these states are hard to get drawn in for public land absolutely 
There's a lot of states out there, you know, this, the, the notorious states that are tough are like Utah is super difficult to, to kill a turkey. And if you're a non-resident um, and even if you're a resident. Uh, so Rhode Island is tough. Delaware, I've got I, I work with outfitters in Maryland and Delaware, but those areas are very they're very small states with not a lot of outfitters working there. But, mm-hmm. you know, we've been pretty lucky. So it's it's always seems to be those kind of guys that come out and say, hey, I need a bird in in Rhode Island or Delaware. Those seems to be the states that are difficult across the Midwest. You know, it's pretty, pretty open. But once you get out west, it gets a little bit tougher with some of those areas. Yeah. So I want to jump in and get on to the oscillated with you again. But before we do that, I want to see if you want to play a little game with us here. Sure. What do we got going? Oh, you're in. I'm not even going to explain it. Let's go. (laughs) Okay. All right. So what what I like to do, especially with new guests on the show, is something that we call the rapid fire Q and A. Mm-hmm. Rapid fire Q and A is about thirty questions that we'll go through and ask, and I'll have a stopwatch going. I'll start the stopwatch when I start the first question, and we go through and I'll ask a question and you answer, and we just try to go through these as quick as we can. It yeah. gives all the listeners a chance to get to know you as if maybe you were sitting by the campfire with them after a hunt. Cool. And let's do it. We're going to do a lot of heavy math, a lot of <laughs> science and biology, and a lot of history of wild turkey. So I hope you're ready. There you go. I'm ready. Okay. Let's All do right. it. So we're going to test out this Bronx education. <laughs> Good luck right. to it. Pulling the Thank timer you. up here, so bear with me for a second. Okay. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Grilled. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat with cola or with water? I don't drink. Number of Grand Slams? Grand Slams, uh, eight. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? Yes. Have you ever killed a Jake? Yes. A 10-minute successful hunt on a two-year-old or a four-hour long hunt with a clean miss on a four-year-old? Four-hour. Your favorite camo pattern? Mm, Khaki. (laughs) Wild turkey legs, for dinner or for the dog? Dinner, absolutely. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? More. The state you killed your first turkey in? New York. The state you killed your last turkey in? Campeche. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Run and gun. Rios or Osceolas? Osceolas. Osceolas or Easterns? Easterns. Easterns or Merriams? Easterns. Fields turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods turkeys, every day. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight or beads? Uh, Holographic sight. Rubber boots, leather boots or snake boots? Rubber boots for Easterns and Osceola and leather boots for the rest. Favorite place you've ever hunted? Argentina. The most turkeys you've ever killed in a season? 13. The least number of turkeys you've ever killed in a season? Four. Out of all the states you've hunted, which state has the most uncooperative turkeys? Missouri. If you only knew how to imitate one turkey sound to call turkeys, what would it be? A gobbler yelp. On a scale of one to ten, how good of a turkey caller do you think you are? An eight. Your favorite turkey hunting book? Um, Eye on the Wild Turkey. Who taught you how to turkey hunt? Myself and magazines. Think of the toughest turkey you've ever hunted. Did you ever kill him? Yes. Do you prefer long, sharp spurs or long, thick beards? Spurs. The biggest mistake new turkey hunters make? Moving too much. How long does turkey season last in heaven and what is the bag limit? It's all the time and it's wide open. That is 2 minutes, 34.28 seconds. (laughs) Is that good? (laughs) That is our new record. I don't play, son. That's just how I roll. And you gave like a 
three second answer on the boots question. Well, yeah, the boots you yeah, can't. Yeah, he like you, answered thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't. Uh, yeah, you can't be messing with rubber boots if you're chasing uh, Miriam's in the, you know, in the Black Hills. At least I can't. My I'm, my ankles are not right, so you wind up on your. Excuse me. <laughs> well, I've I've got to make note here because the next time we do this with a guest, they need to know that Tony Caggiano is the record holder. The master. And they need <laughs> the to, that's, that's the goal they Let need to shoot know. for. If someone beats me, you invite me back. We'll do it. And I took my time with it. Uh, well, you know, we would expect nothing less from a fast-talking Yankee. There you go. Who I'm lives a Mets in Florida. Fan. Or I was, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, technically, they got my Floridian. All my friends that are from down here said I did. I moved to Orlando. So they said I moved to Orlando, not Florida. These guys that are from down like in Yeehaw Junction and, and Polk oh, yeah. County, who are the hardcore turkey hunters, they said that uh, Orlando doesn't qualify. But I'm here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> one of your answers caught my attention. You said the one sound would be gobbler yelp. Absolutely. So you definitely are good friends with Ray I then. <laughs> That's how we, when we first met, we uh, were in a friend of mine, Jameis Driscoll, who was with Outdoor Life at the time. He's now since moved on to other things in the outside of the outdoor world. But he was, he and I were, we turkey hunt, we were turkey hunting fools together. And one of my first trips out of state, I went on a, a turkey hunt in Texas with Jameis, David Draper, who's now with Peterson's. He's the editor for Peterson's. And Ray I and my buddy Ken, who's a new turkey hunter. And when we got to talking, you know, he we hit it off because of my absolute obsession with fall turkey hunting. And I've always said that, you know, turkeys and Ray Ray says it too, but turkeys are looking to breed for a month a year, but they're looking to fight 365 days. And I have killed a lot of birds in the fall and in the spring using gobbler yelps or Jake yelps, you know, very similar. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah, so when I met Ray, I really, my fall turkey hunting game, which I was already obsessed with trying to get better at it, it really, he, it upped my game hanging out with, with that crazy SOB in the woods. He's, uh, I mean, he's one of the turkey killingest people I ever met. He's incredible. And I learned a lot from him and he's a good friend. I mean, you know, everybody calls him uncle Ray, but my kids grew up with him. Like he's family. And, you know, I've been really lucky to have him as a friend of mine. Learned a yeah. lot from him. Yeah. And he would take he would take tur- he would take fall turkey over spring turkey any day of the week. Like for him, there's no comparison. And I'm right there with him. I mean, I love guys in the fall. They're always talking about they don't want they don't fall hunt because they don't want to bust a flock and shoot a, shoot hens. And and my fall turkey hunting is I've I have never done it with a dog. That's the one thing I really want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know a buddy of mine, Jerry Bethji, He talks about it all the time. He's uh he's with outdoor life for a long time, and he's an incredible turkey hunter. And he loved it. A lot of the guys do. But but I think that fall turkey hunting for gobblers, it's hard. You spend a lot of time, but you have all day. You really get to know the birds. And I tell people all the time, you want to become a better turkey hunter, try to kill gobblers in the fall. Once you learn to do that, there's no turkey you can't kill. Yeah. Yeah. Ray, Ray says similar things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Believe me, I hear it. <laughs> do you have a call that you prefer making your gobbler yelps on? Is it the diaphragm or the box? I do. I have, so I like slate calls. I have, and I've had all sorts of stuff. I worked a lot with uh, Fred Zink and those guys when they were starting to doing the turkey calls. I have a bunch of his calls. I love them. For me, my favorite calls are diaphragm calls, and I make my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's something Ray taught me. I never made a call till I met that man. 
but well, I really like that I was able to play with them and, and change it. And because most every call you buy is designed yeah. to sound like a hen. So yeah. he taught me ways to to play with the call and, and sound a little more, get a little more raspy and a deeper tone out of it to sound more like a, a gobbler. So yeah, yeah I, like, I like homemade diaphragm calls. That's what I've been messaging quite a few call makers trying to get somebody to make me a gobbler, you know, call design for gobbler yelping. And mm-hmm. uh, I finally found one guy I think's going to try it out for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the secret to that are the ones I make are, are triple read calls usually. So it takes a little more effort to, to really get them going right. And it's one of those things I made the call and Ray helped me, you know, taught me how, and then I was playing with that, made a call. And I just felt like this was going to be the right call. And you had to relearn how to, how to work the call a little bit. Because the slower cadence and the the deeper sound, you almost need a little bit more pressure to make it work and come out right. But yeah, you know, that's that's kind of how when I got into turkey hunting, I just I literally bought a diaphragm call at a gun show. I started out hunting when I when I was in college. My family moved from New York City to Westchester, and I had a friend who bow hunted whitetails, and there were a lot of big whitetails up there, and you know, in the suburbs. And while I was out in my stand, a flock of turkeys was roosted around me, and they were going crazy, and I just became obsessed. The first turkey I ever shot was that following spring. I just became obsessed and went to a gun show and bought a call, and I didn't know anyone. I didn't know about DVDs. I didn't watch hunting shows. I put it in my mouth, and I remember on the back of the card, it just said in quotes, it said, use the call and make the shuck, shuck, shuck is what it said. So I just kept doing that. And I, I kept going out in the woods to listen to turkeys. So I guess turkeys taught me to turkey call. Yeah. And, uh, That's a good the teacher. Next, <laughs> yeah. And the next, the next spring I went out and uh, I just started on my own. I got permission from a friend. He had permission on our property. He said, they were all deer hunters. He said, yeah, go for it. And I hunted every day of that season and I killed my bird on the 21st. Nice. Took three weeks to kill a bird there. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it was nineteen ninety one. It was pretty cool. What cut do you like to to run on your diaphragm call for the for the gobblers? Um, I usually just do. Yeah, I just do like a. It almost looks like a half moon with a little slice next to it, like a little V cut. I don't know. I've played with it, right? So I'm not doing anything super different. I literally put the call together and I have a little pair of cuticle shears. Make sure they're super sharp so you're not just pulling the call around. Yeah. I'll sharp have them sharp like razor sharp. And then I try if you're making your own calls, try a bunch of different stuff and see what works for you. Gotcha. I think that when you're making especially when you're making mouth calls, people hear somebody blow a call and they're like, "Oh, I need that mouth call." You'll get a similar sound out of it, but your your palate's different shaped. Yeah, and it's a musical instrument. It's gonna sound sound different coming out of your mouth. So, yeah. if you're making your own call, play with it and see what where you get the sound you like. Yeah, very good. Well, cool. I'm guessing you've never used gobbler yelp for an oscillated turkey. <laughs> no, the oscillated are uh, you know it's a completely different uh-huh. deal. I don't know if you've heard their calls. They do a lot of the hens do a lot of peeping and squeaking, and the the gobblers do that song. You know, yeah, that um, that is pretty incredible. When you're hunting, when you're hunting os- the oscillated now, you know, with the guys I hunt with, you're field hunting, you're hunting birds that are coming off a roost. It's a turkey hunt. You know, you're putting out. We've put out decoys. I was talking to Dave Smith. He's gonna work with us on some stuff. He's been working on a uh, an oscillated decoy that he came out with, but then he decided it was too big and took it back and, and is reworking it. But uh, it's very different on the calling. Right now, most of the calls used are electronic. But we've been, you know, my guys, my buddies down in uh, Mexico have been talking to people and, 
working on a, a mouth call, a little wooden mouth call that'll be able to imitate the hens to try to get those gobblers in. I don't know. I don't know how you get the to imitate a gobbler call because it's that whoop, 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 bloop, bloop. like it's yeah. it sounds like they're bubbling <laughs> and whooping and all sorts of really cool stuff. You should put a link. I'll send you. I'll send you a link to the call so people can click it and actually hear what they sound like if they have, and it's pretty incredible. Yeah. So where do these hunts start, and where do they take place? Because we know that the oscillated is only located in a, a very tiny range, small range of of land. And mm-hmm. am I correct in saying that two of the countries that they're located in are have have stopped? All hunting. Well, there weren't a lot, so they were there weren't a lot in in some of the countries they're located in, right? So Belize has them. There's some down in Guatemala, I believe. But Mexico is the only country that's allowing that has an oscillated season. In the the Yucatan Peninsula is where you're going to find these birds. Mm-hmm. Most of the hunting is done in and around Campeche at this point. There are a couple of other outfitters that are in surrounding areas, but I think that Campeche has the real concentration of birds. So when you're going down there, you're going to be flying into Merida, Mexico. And then it's usually a three, depending on the lodge you go to, it's a three and a half to four hour drive to most of the lodges, to most of the camps from there. Yeah. So you're really, you're really out in the middle of the jungle, which is, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. This is an adventure hunt. Absolutely. Yeah. So kind of walk us through what, transpires on a hunt from daylight to dark on a typical day yeah so it's it's pretty similar to any turkey hunt you've been on that's what i try to tell guys years ago we've all seen the videos and you know um the american sportsman videos i've seen from the early 90s or late 80s even into the mid 90s where the folks who were getting their world slams were going to to the jungle and finding a bird on roost that's singing, sneaking up to it and shooting it out of the roost, mm-hmm. which was completely legal. And that's, you know, that's how they were hunted there. There was nobody, you weren't calling them. And I know a lot of turkey hunters, I hear it all the time saying it's wrong. It's this, but, you know, like I always say is you, if it's a legal means of hunting, it's not, we're not talking about something that's immoral. It's just different. And that's how they did it. And about probably about 20 years ago, guys started realizing that the outfitters started realizing that turkey hunters wanted to set up and have a turkey hunt, even if they were hunting a different bird. So it's very similar to a turkey hunt sitting on field edges or in the jungle. Uh, typically, you're going to wake up well before dawn, just like any other hunt on at our camp. You'll have breakfast and you'll head out to the jungle or to the field, depending on the time of the season. Early in the season, you'll be on on the edge of sorghum fields and some corn fields because you're in the jungle. It's I mean, there's this is a serious wild jungle. But just like so many other places in the world, there's agriculture, agriculture kind of encroaching. Hmm. And there's a lot of farms down there run by the Mennonites and they're out in the jungle. Right. These folks are just farming. And it's kind of weird the first time you come across somewhere, you see a cowboy with sunburn and blonde hair and a cowboy hat come out, you know, like a a real gringo, a white guy, and he comes up and just starts speaking fluent Spanish because he's he's a Mennonite farmer who's been there his whole life in the jungle. Yeah. So, yeah, so you head out in the morning. My favorite is when we were hunting in the jungle, you get out there. In the jungle, we'll hunt out of blinds that are already set in likely areas, areas that have been scouted and are either on a field edge where the birds come to strut and feed and breed and all that stuff, or in the jungle, the birds will 
tend to roost near water holes, but the water holes are not, I can guarantee you the water holes are not what you're thinking. You're everybody thinks of like a small pond in the jungle, but it is quite literally, it could be as big as a couch or even as small as like a medicine ball, but it's these stones, these lava rocks, and there's a hole in it that collects rain. And the water holes are typically five, maybe 10 gallons of water and that's it. Hmm. But this this rainforest, it's not a rainforest necessarily. It's it's a jungle, but it's a very arid jungle. So when you go there, don't expect to think you're walking into a, a Tarzan flick. You know what I mean? With yeah. the big coconut trees everywhere. This is a very dry place, but very cool. And the birds will roost around these water holes because they need water every day. So you'll hear them gobbling and they'll come in and strut around the water hole because they know that's where the hens are coming. And then they'll all kind of go off on their way for the day, but they'll pass through all day long strutting and calling. So it's a lot, there's less running and gunning than there would be on a, uh, an Eastern hunt or, or certainly like a Miriam's or, or mm-hmm. Rio. Uh, you're usually in really in blinds that are well built with very small holes to look through, you know, to view for most guys. The birds seem to be much more skittish. I guess living in the jungle will do that, but they're twitchy birds. They're not like, they're not like the other turkeys in that the hens, we had a flock of hens come in, something spooked them. And they took off and flew around the entire field in a big circle like crows would, and they landed again. And every once in a while, a hen would just take off and fly 50 yards away in a circle and come back and land. Like, they fly a lot more readily than than the other subspecies. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. But they're super twitchy. But, you know, there's in the jungle where we hunt, there's jaguar, puma, margay cat, jaguarundi, ocelot, kawatamundi. There's plenty of critters out there that are that are trying to get their teeth into these birds, so it explains why they're so twitchy. Yeah. Is the, is the population of oscillated turkeys pretty high? I mean, is it you know, like it's, a thriving population? Yeah, and, and well, how it is is, you know, just like anything, it's like when somebody says, "Is it, are you hunting, you're hunting elephants and they're a thriving, are they a thriving population? Well, it depends on where you go. So in certain areas where we hunt, there's a lot of turkeys. They're not a widespread species, but... For the most part, it's not like they were a super widespread species compared to some others. When you're down there, you'll see flocks of three or 400 birds. I mean, you see huge, wow. we've seen huge flocks early in the season, which is now. The season opens in 10 days or a week. Mm-hmm. So when you go in January and February, it's a great time to bow hunt. You're going to be on the fields more than likely in these areas where the birds come out to strut and feed. And you'll see flocks of 50 birds, 100, 200 birds, huge flocks of birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Later in the season, just like any other birds, the gobblers split off and start looking for hens. Hens are starting to nest sort of in smaller groups and singles. And that's when it seems to be more hunting takes place in the jungle. But the late season is where you're really getting, instead of gobbling and strutting, you're there for singing and dancing, basically, because the birds (laughs) sing, they don't gobble. And their strut has a lot of wing beating and shuffling their feet and hitting the ground. It's it's pretty cool stuff. So what what month of the year would that be? When when would you go hunt to see that kind of show? If you want to see that kind of show, it's usually April is when that really gets going. Right at the end of March, first few weeks of April. And the season will go into May. I've hunted I've hunted uh, March. I've hunted early April. I've hunted the last week of April, all with really good success and lots of singing and lots of show there. So that's the time to go if you want to see the kind of the full show. Yeah. And, and you said that they're working on getting to where you can actually call them up. Yeah, with mouth calls. We already use electronic calls, which is still a lot of fun. You know, you're not getting to play the call as you would, a, you know, a manual call. But it's still pretty cool because the birds are very responsive to it. And yeah. um, so it's still a lot of fun. You know, it's it's a very it's a different sub it's a different species of bird. 
even though it's a turkey. So like I tell guys, some guys tell me, well, that's not turkey hunting. Well, then you're just missing out on an incredible adventure. And as a turkey hunter, I've never had a turkey hunter go there that didn't appreciate the experience. Hmm. Um, some want to go every year and some are glad they did it and they might not go back. It is, you know, it isn't a cheap turkey hunt and it is an adventure. But everybody I know has had a blast and really appreciates the experience. That's for sure. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So what about the firearm situation? Because I know taking a gun into Mexico is, well, a hassle. Yeah, it's it's certainly a hassle. We have folks who are have a reason why they really need to bring their own gun. It's something we can do. There is quite a bit. There's paperwork involved. And it's a little bit of a hassle. On my end, it's not as big a hassle as it'll be on the hunter's end because as you're going in and out of the country, you, you'll run into difficulties. You may run into difficulties or it'll certainly slow up your trip quite a bit. But our outfitters, all of our outfitters have guns and shells available. It's part of the package. So it's not like you have to worry about it. And, you know, you're going down there. It's, as far as the shells go, you shoot a couple to, to shoot the gun and make sure you're sighted in and ready to go. And then on the hunt, it's just a couple of shells. So all of the outfitters, you know, we all have guns down there at the lodges, at the camps, ready to go. It's a lot easier that way. Okay. And so I heard you use the word lodge. And mm -hmm. as someone who's been to Africa a couple of times, you know, I know that you can go to some pretty wild places and still have all of the luxuries of home plus some. What yeah. are the lodges like for most of the outfitters that, that you book oscillated hunts with yeah so i only work with a few guys that i've first of all they have to be somebody i hunted with gotcha or if it's someone who someone like ray i or brian love it or or someone like that who i know they know what i'm looking for right. and they know you know they're a partner of me they're my partners yeah. on this thing even though they're not part of the business they're they've helped me build it and i'll start working with someone on a recommendation from them but I still wind up hunting with them in the first year or two. But so we have a couple of different um, locations. Our kind of our main our main camp. It's a camp, right? It's not a, it's not a lodge. It's safari style tent camps. It's gorgeous. They're on the tent is put up on a cement a cement footing, a cement pallet in the jungle. Mm -hmm. There's running water. There's outdoor showers and bathrooms. You have a cook tent. You have a dining tent outside. That is the ultimate adventure. You're in the jungle. You're laying in your tent. The tents have air, condition, air conditioning, which is a godsend down there because yeah. if you do want to see the show and go in April, it could be 115 degrees in the jungle. Okay. And like I said, it's, yeah, it's, that's it. <laughs> and as dry as it is, it's still humid. Don't ask me how, if everything is bone dry, it's as humid as it is. But um, yeah, so you're in these tents really, really nicely done, like a real high end safari in Africa. You're, you're super comfortable. There's, they actually have Wi-Fi. There's not going to be any TV or swimming pool, that sort of amenities. But it's a true adventure. The food is cooked by local chefs, which are they're you know they're Mexican, but they're most of the guys are of Mayan descent, mm -hmm. and they cook they cook meals that are not what you're going to expect in some cases. Beautiful Mayan dishes, very flavorful, colorful, lots of habanero. But if you don't like spicy, they don't worry about it. They have all sorts of uh, of different techniques that they 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 use a a spice called achiote, which is very red and has a richness to it, but it's not spicy. And you, they'll cook your turkeys for you. They cook different bean and, and pork dishes, anything you can think of. But it's really part the culinary experience is very much part of the adventure there in the in the jungle camp. 
And there's another option we have where it's the lodge. It's it's a little compound in a local town. So you're going to go past homes and, and little little, you know, casas. And mm-hmm. it's it's got a, a beautiful compound walled in with thatched roof huts. Uh, and this one has all the amenities. It has a built in pool. It has weightlifting area. Really, really nice. It's more like a lodge. And what I do is I kind of there's no air. Con- there's no there's air conditioning. There's no television, that sort of thing. But it's more well, it's a well-appointed lodge, right? It's beautifully done. But what, what I offer to my clients is the fact that I've been to all these lodges. What I do is I try to talk to people and I'll see what you're interested in, what you want to do. If you ask me my opinion, I think the ultimate adventure is in the jungle. But if you want to have a relaxed visit or hunt with your spouse or your girlfriend, that sort of thing. Some of my clients will, who are older like it a little better because it's a little more civilized for them. They don't feel as uh, threatened being in this little vi- in this little resort as opposed to being out in the jungle. But it's a very different experience, which is a big part of what I do with my company is when you call up to book a hunt, you don't just go on like with some outfitters and you click a button and book a hunt. You call me and we talk and I see what you're interested in. And that's why I think I have we have a great success rate in so many repeat clients because – you know, if I'm on a phone call with somebody for an hour or a half hour, these things always go. Once you start talking turkeys, turkey hunters don't want to get off the phone. And, you know, I, I kind of I kind of I know the questions to ask to see what they want to do. And I can set them up with what the hunt that I think will really suit them best and give them what they're expecting and what they're hoping for. Yeah. So what about the taxidermy situation and getting that trophy back? You mentioned that They'll actually cook the bird for you in camp. But if someone wants to bring their bird back, I would assume that there are people in the camp or people at the lodge that can process that bird and clean that bird and get it all packed up and ready to send back. Absolutely. So when I say they're going to cook your bird, what they're going to cook are the generally the breasts and the thighs out of the bird. Everyone brings these birds back for taxidermy, right? I mean, you've seen the birds. You know why people are going there. It's a once in a lifetime trip. I've been down there with dozens of hunters with me on the on my hosted trips and everyone brings the birds back so what they do is the guys in the camp the head guides the guys who work for the company you know our at our lodges and our camps we have guys who completely skin out your bird with the exception of the wings they take all the meat out but they leave the bones and the legs on and they'll completely skin them out and either wrap them up nicely and freeze them so you could bring them home with you Mm-hmm. or they'll be salted and shipped back later. Bringing the home with you was the way it was everywhere for years. In the last few seasons, Mexico has decided that, I think that it's come about because they see what happens in Africa, and it com- it creates a whole nother income stream right. and industry for the country where you have the customs agents involved and all that sort of stuff. We're working with our outfitters or, or my partners are working to see what we can do to get it back to where we could fill out the paperwork beforehand and then you'll have all the permits you need to get your bird home with you in your luggage. And what you do then is the bird's frozen, wrapped tightly, goes in your bag. Usually we did it, we've always done it like wrapped in our clothing, our dirty clothes so that it's insulated and you would bring it back. You'd have, we'd have all the paperwork ready for you because you have to have a CITES permit and the permits for the bird. And then you go through customs and you bring the bird back to your taxidermist, which you have to have a taxidermist that's certified in handling these birds. They have to have an endorsement and take a mm-hmm. class and have the knowledge to handle 
and properly clean the birds from other countries because of different parasites they're concerned with and possibility of, you know, different issues with that they're bringing into the country. They want to make sure that the birds are cleaned and handled properly and all that is eradicated in the mount. But almost everyone brings their bird back and it'll be prepared in camp and then you come home. I work with, it's, there's a lot of guys who don't have a certified taxidermist because not every local taxidermist is going to be certified to handle, you know, these birds. So I work with a, a group of guys. It's a family, the Peppy family, and they're up in New York. It's Jonas Brothers Taxidermy. They've been around, the company's been around for over 100 years. Actually, there's a, I think there's a sign or, on their website, you see, Ernest Hemingway said that when he was, when he died, he wanted to have his body sent to Jonas Brothers so he's mounted properly after his death, he said. Yeah. They know what they're doing. Yeah, seriously. So those guys are what they, the work they do is second to none. They do a lot of they do a lot of the mounts. If you go to Ripley's museum and you see the two headed cows and the the three headed calf and the kittens with eight legs, they, those guys are doing all that stuff, all custom stuff. Carl and his son Michael are like off the charts, um, off the charts uh, talented guys, taxidermists. But we can help out with that. That's part of what I do. Is I'll you can handle as much or as little as you want. I'll take care of the rest. We'll get the birds shipped right back to the taxidermist. And then within a couple months, they'll be shipped to your home and you have your mounted bird if you want. It's up to you. Yeah, no doubt. That's something that's on my to-do list, but I've got to finish the Super Slam before I go and do that. And, you know, the and I would imagine I'm not the only one who's going to say this or feel this way, but, you know, it is an expensive hunt compared to other turkey hunts. And it is, for me, not just an immediate goal, but something that I that I want to do whereas the super slam is completing that is more of an immediate goal for me sure but man every time I see an oscillated that's been mounted usually you know I see those at the NWTF convention when I go there I just stand there and stare at them I mean they're yeah. breathtaking birds and the spurs on those jokers are just they're insane yeah, it's the first thing you learn when you go out there is when you shoot your bird. They're small too. I mean, a big, the largest gobbler, I'll say gobbler, a tom that I've ever shot. I think he was twelve pounds, mm-hmm. and like a huge one would be fourteen. Most that we were seeing in our camp were eleven or twelve, ten to twelve pounds. But when you shoot the bird, if it's flopping, the guides run out and they put their hands on the body of the bird. Nobody, you don't, you do not grab these birds by the feet because. You're talking about a spur that will come out the back of your hand. It'll go right between, right in the palm of your hand and come out the back. It's, they're super sharp. They're not, and we've all seen sharp turkey spurs, right? But I'm talking about a turkey spur that you will go right through your hand. Imagine the sharpest Eastern or Osceola spur you've ever seen. And it's like that. So yeah, the guides go out there and they're very, you know, very carefully kind of put their hands on the bird and hold the bird down until it's done flopping as opposed to grabbing a foot and picking it up or standing on its head or that sort of thing. They want to make sure that those the spurs are safely away from any of your arms or legs, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long do your hunts typically take? How how many days? So, so pretty much across the board, it's a five-day hunt, usually with six nights because of the logistics of getting there. Mm-hmm. You're going to fly into almost with almost everyone because of the, the arrival times coming in at the airport and the distance to the lodge and your way out in the jungle. Um, most of the guys you'll arrive in Merida will get you set up with, we have a beautiful hotel, a resort that we work with, or more often than not, we'll, we'll put you up in, well, you, you have to, you know, 
We'll get you a, a room arranged for you at this beautiful bed and breakfast that we stay at. That is absolutely gorgeous. The food is excellent. You go there, settle in, relax, swim, enjoy a couple of drinks with your friends. And then early the next morning after breakfast at 8 a.m., you're picked up, taken to the lodge. You're there around noon, have lunch, and then you're out in the afternoon for your first afternoon hunts. And then you'll hunt pretty much four full days and then and then come back home, do the kind of the reverse thing, go back into town, spend a night, and then most of the flights out are early in the morning. So if you wanted to go, we've had guys that have needed to get back and they'll go in, but you literally would need to leave at 1 a.m. to get to the airport on time for the morning flights. So it's kind of a night, four nights, four or five nights in camp, and then a night on either end. So it's a week-long hunt. You know, it's... Yeah. You're not you're not flying into Orlando like with an Osceola hunt and hunting in Kissimmee St. Cloud on the other side of Disney World. It's you're going out into the middle of the jungle. It's an, like you keep saying it's an adventure. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds awesome. It's it's yeah, it's better than awesome. It really is a pretty special kind of hunt. <laughs> I've I have read and also, you know, I've seen some of these some of the brochures for some of these hunts and checked out some of the websites, but there are opportunities to take other animals on these trips as well, aren't there? Yes, there are. That's the nice thing that down there, there's a number of different species. So most guys will go down for the, tur for obviously for the turkey hunt in most camps, depending on availability and when you, how far out you book and different things, you could take two birds. Usually um, sometimes if you book late or don't book it in, you know, in advance and make the arrangements, you might only have one availability for one bird. But if so, you can hunt up to two turkeys. And then there are other bird species out there, which are pretty cool. The great curacao, which is mm -hmm. built similar to a turkey. It's a tall, ground-dwelling bird, all black, super curly feathers on its head, which are pretty funky. And this big sear, yellow, bright yellow bill, a white belly. It's, it comes through, it makes this drumming sound. And it comes through the jungle, walks up just like a turkey would. There's also a crested guan, which is another ground-dwelling bird that comes in. There's chachalacas, which are a flying bird that you can hunt. There, there's also some other little birds like different tianemus, which are like little upland birds. But most of the guys down there, everybody seems to to really dig the kawatamundi, which if you haven't seen one, it looks like a cross between a raccoon and a monkey. Mm -hmm. It's uh, they, they roam in, in troops. So I've had as many as 50 of them come in, which I don't know. I can't imagine how something would survive a group of 50 raccoons traveling together here in Florida. But, you know, those are really cool birds. There's javelina, similar to what you see in the Southwest, same subspecies, you know. Yeah. Um, collared peccary. And then you can also hunt brocket deer. There's gray and red brocket deer, which I've hunted. I hunted the gray. I'm going to go back maybe and hunt. I'm hoping to hunt the red next year or this year now. I mean, it's creeping up on us. Yeah. I'm still waiting to do that. So those are really cool. They're jungle-dwelling deer. It's one of those animals where the first time I went, everybody's like, oh, do you want to hunt brocket deer? And I look, and it looks like a tiny spike, wh spike, whitetail. Then you get in the jungle, and you see them, and it's pretty cool. You know, it's very different. So I was really, really excited. I, I've hunted them. The other animal that's out there is there are whitetails. So our jungle camp, you have to go to a different time of the season, but you can also hunt a jungle whitetail hmm. out of this camp. But it's the seasons are a little bit uh, earlier and later. But yeah, it's it's kind of fun because you're in the jungle and you don't know what's going to come by out there. And in addition to the huntable species, there's also we've seen I've seen jaguar, we've seen puma, and you can get permits and hunt puma, but they're not you know the the, the, the forest cougars, but they're not importable back into the United States. Oh yeah. 
And then there's also other cats such as that you can't hunt, like ocelot. I've had guys see ocelot, jaguarundis, and I even saw a margay cat. So it's pretty cool. And there's parrots flying around. It's it's another world. It really is. You're hunting in the jungle, and it's for lack of a better term, it's it's bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, man, it's cool. It's all kind of animals. It, I'd like to see some of those other ground dwelling birds. That sounds pretty neat. I'm up be Google well, searching those like crazy. Yeah, well, I can send you. I'll send you guys photos of everything that you can you share with your listeners if you want on you know your website or on social media. I'll get all that to you. We'll we'll make it so, or I'll give you a link so everybody can go to my site and check them out. There's a lot of really cool stuff there, and it's. I think the adventure is not knowing what you're going to see next down there too. Pretty neat. Yeah. Right. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So let's do that. Give us your contact info, and that way the the people listening to the show can contact you if they want to get more information about an oscillated hunt or maybe it's a Goulds or any one of the other four subspecies, or if they need some help with their super slam and just, you know, want to chat with you about opportunities available, how is the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, absolutely. The best way to contact me is you can email me. You can check out my website. It's world slam adventures, one word, no hyphenation, and contact me at Tony at World Slam Adventures. I do a lot of, we have a lot of great photos and stuff on social media. It's Tony Caggiano Outdoors. You see Tony Cag uh, underscore outdoors on Instagram. You find us on Facebook, World Slam Adventures. I monitor, I do a lot of social media. So if you come across me or find me on social media, you can just ask a question there. Hit me on the email. So we do a lot of that stuff. Um, we do, yeah, we, anything, anything turkey related, we can help you with. We're even doing through my other company, World Wild Game Based. We're going to be doing with my partner Jeremiah Dowdy from Field to Plate is his it was his company he started. We're doing from Field to Plate Wild Game Based hunts, where you come out and we'll teach people new hunters how to turkey hunt, or if you already know how to turkey hunt, you do your thing. Once you get your birds, we're going to teach people how to butcher them, break them down, pluck them, prepare them, recipes, all sorts of stuff, so that you're you know really making it a full experience. So, you know, start to finish, from start to finish, you can enjoy your birds. Yeah. Mm, that's neat. Yes, yeah, it's indeed. Fun. Yes, I know indeed. I've used a few of the Jeremiah's recipes myself. They're, they're pretty great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's a hell of a chef. Unfortunately, I hate when he hears me say it out loud. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of stuff going on on his website now on our wildgamebase.com website. We're posting recipes all the time. You can find, you can find my uh, oscillated turkey recipes on there. We did a barbacoa. While we were down there, we have a great video. We were talking about the Kawada Mundi. So one of the Mayan chefs there prepared the Kawada Mundi, which I said is like a raccoon monkey looking thing. And we, we, we roasted it underground and we ate it. It was easily one of the most delicious game animals I've ever eaten. And we have the process on, on our YouTube channel, which is pretty cool. And it's always one of those things that kind of makes people stop and look and either yeah. they're grossed out by it or not. But once you everybody's kind of a little freaked out and then you see the final product, these incredible tacos and pulled pulled meat we made with it. <laughs> and it was amazing, man. I would hunt them just to eat them if they were around here. And every hunter I know would once you get past that, uh, the idea of hunting a raccoon, monkey, bear, jungle animal. <laughs> <laughs> oh they're freaky as hell they have this big long nose they have a huge long sh a ring tail it's like a raccoon's tail but it's the tail's three feet long and points straight up in the air when they're going through the jungle it's uh it's pretty cool stuff that looks and and sounds like a girl i went out with in college 
but we'll <laughs> we'll save that for a, a different show. Yeah, that's around the campfire, man. We don't need recordings of that story. <laughs> Anyone who wants that story, you got to go face to face here. That's to, right. To that is right. I got some of those. I got plenty of face to face stories where I'll check you for a recording device before we start talking. <laughs> oh goodness, that's that's too funny. Well, good deal, Tony. Man, I've enjoyed this, and you know, I I definitely be reaching out to you when that time comes, and it won't be too terribly long because it's it is what i lack to complete my royal slam the oscillated is so um you know i'm i'm gonna make it happen and i love those adventure style hunts i mean it's just yeah we're trying to go down i try to go down at least every other year because it was one of those the first time i went i swore this is i said i'm going down there it's a once in a lifetime trip and you know i've gone on six once in a lifetime trips after oscillated now so there you go. Yeah, I got a buddy who he's he it's hard to it said it's hard for him to sell his wife on his 20th trip of a lifetime when he's hanging out with me, but that's kind of what we do. <laughs> you know, between Mexico and every place else we're chasing whatever, anything that's fur or feathers. Yeah. yeah. Very good. So, before we cut you loose, I want you to share with us the story of your I guess most memorable or most exciting oscillated hunt so <laughs> the most the memorable the most memorable oscillated hunt i ever had it it happened this this past season right so it was right before covid started we went to mexico it we went early this year we went in february but the birds were already starting to sing mm-hmm. and i'm just telling you this because i'm sure jeremiah will listen to this and he'll call me out on it <laughs> there was a bird we were in an elevated blind right so it's a wooden platform blind 12 feet in the air there's jeremiah and myself and the guide and it was on an area where the birds were roosting nearby with the water hole just like I, we talked about earlier and this bird starts singing and calling and we could hear him in the jungle singing you can't see him he comes out jeremiah could see him plain as day has him on video he has spurs on him that are sincerely pushing two and a quarter two and a half inches hmm. and i could see because he's i could see the bird at certain points when he when he struts I can see feathers on either side of this tree and he just keeps coming in. He gets closer to feathers are sticking out on the sides of the tree more, but I can never see the bird's head or body. And he comes to 20 yards and walks away singing and, and strutting the whole way. Jeremiah's freaking out. He could see it. We go back in. We know he roosts nearby. That was an afternoon hunt. The next morning we go out, he's singing again. Here he comes. He sneaks up, gets quiet, sneaks up behind us. And as I, now he's walking, but he's not going to stop. So as I put my gun up, I start to follow him slowly and something happens behind us. We hear brush. I don't know if it was another bird or another animal. So he starts like walking fast. So I just put my gun up and I'm good to go. But you know how you're swinging your gun. I'm focusing on the bird and I pull the trigger and I center punch a tree. (laughs) He starts running. So I swing ahead. I get in front of him. I pull the trigger. I center punch another tree just a little higher up because he's just starting to get off the ground now. (laughs) I keep going. I swing through them. I hit a third tree. I hit three trees hmm. while swinging my gun, dead center, full pattern. You couldn't do that on a bet as fast as I swung. <laughs> but I, I think I'll, because I'm sure Jeremiah will offer it up. At, I'll see if I can find the link to, we had a video of it online with Jeremiah describing how I murdered a 300-year-old jungle tree. And <laughs> I shouldn't be allowed in Mexico. 
But yeah, to me, that was the most memorable because the bird was spectacular. It was super stressful. And like you said, like we were talking earlier, would I rather walk away from a hunt without a bird? And I missed the bird. I was super bummed out. I'm not going to lie. But it's yeah. one of those things where I wound up killing a bird at the end of the week, literally an hour before we were supposed to leave. So everything came together on that hunt. But it was super memorable in that, you know, I took it on the chin, but it, I don't think I could do that again if I tried. I don't think I could... I don't think if you swing a gun as fast as you can, you can center punch three trees, any three trees in the jungle. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So we all know Jeremiah can cook very well. How how did the trees taste? Yeah, he would have cooked them for me if they let him cut them down. He has photos <laughs> of them, and we filmed a video afterwards with him talking and touching the tree. Like, he has plenty of footage of those trees, so. Uh-huh. But he let them. The nice thing those, it was the nice thing about hunting jungle trees is it's catch and release, so they were good to go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. fanned out the leaves, got behind them, and it looked real nice. Have no idea. It went, <laughs> and the shots went like this. Is how about how fast the shots went? Bam, bam, bam! I shot three separate trees just that fast. I couldn't do it on a bet. <laughs> Man, but he never let. Me, he'll never let me live it down. He still talks about it. So I just put that out there so that when he listens, I did that for him. That one was for Jay. There <laughs> you go, rug face. That one was for you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Tony, yeah. man, thank you. I've enjoyed this. It's been a lot of fun and, and very interesting and educational for me as well. Pleasure, so, yeah, thank you for having me on. Man. I really appreciate it. And anytime, I'm always down to talk turkeys. There's nothing I love more. It's amazing. Well, that makes three of us. Yeah, yeah man. Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good luck to you this season. And You too. I hate that I'm not going to get the opportunity to meet up with you in Nashville this year to say hello. So it kind of well, stinks. Well, there- yeah, we're doing the virtual convention is coming up. They're going to be doing that. So be sure to check out the virtual convention. Jer- Jeremiah and I are going to be helping with that. We got something special planned. So even though we won't get to meet in person, interact, he and I are doing something through our wild game-based company for NWTF to use on the virtual convention. So it should be a lot of fun. Awesome. Nice. We'll be looking for that then. Check that out. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. Well, thanks a bunch. And let's... Try to set up a time to get you back on sometime soon, and good luck this coming season. You too, guys. Take care. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank Thanks, you, Tony. Right, goodbye. I ain't going to shoot one of them peacocks. Yeah, I will. I will, too. Tell me when to go, son. You can call him now. I'm in. Yeah. I mean, he described that hunt, you know, where he ended up missing with the tree and all that, which was funny, but the way he was describing the bird coming in, sneaking in and stuff, I was like, heck, that sounds like a, a turkey hunt. <laughs> oh yeah no i doubt. mean that's what i'm after <laughs> well and those birds now have been hunted for years so you know they're they're well okay first of all i need to step back because they were hunted for subsistence reasons for yeah. thousands of years they've also been hunted by way more predators than i think we have here in the u.s mm-hmm. that our turkeys have to worry about here and so I can definitely understand how those birds might be a little bit wary. Yeah, I think I think it'd be a fun thing to do. I, I definitely plan to do it one day, without a doubt. I'd like to have one mounted for sure. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and catch up with me on the Super Slam. That's what I'm trying to do. Get that finished, and then let's head south. Take our brides with us. They can hang out in the resort on the Yucatan in Cancun somewhere or... The Island of Women, La Isla Mujeres, <laughs> and we can go chase birds for a few days. I'm in on that. We'll do it. I'm going to have to catch you first, but I, I'm going to do my best to do that. 
I mean, come on, get serious here. So in two more years, you will have caught me. You just got to buckle down and get it done. Uh, two more years. Yeah, I'm hoping to be around 30 in two years. So it's possible. All right. May not be probable, but it's possible. Well, you're a stone cold killer. You can do it. We'll try it. Confidence in you. 100% confidence. We're going to go to Mexico. It's going to happen. All right, cool. You can put it on, on there, but... If I finish the Super Slam before you and you're still working on it, I'm going to Canada. And so if I have to break away from Canada... To go to Mexico. To go to Mexico, I can do that. You yeah. just You just have to say when. Yeah. I'm going to do my best to catch up to you, buddy. I promise you that much. Okay. But Good deal. We'll see what happens. All right. Hopefully everybody enjoyed that. I know talking about the oscillated is a little different than what we usually talk about because it's something not many of us have done, but definitely interesting insight into a whole new bird. And I think Tony would be the guy to contact if you want to kill one for sure. Yeah, there's no question about that. And, you know, really, I'm I'm going to go ahead and just say that's the favor for the week. Yeah, there you go. You know, If you want to do it, Tony's the guy. And it's not just the oscillated. It's the Goulds. It is a Rio. It's a Merriam's. It's traveling out to Hawaii. It is an Eastern, maybe in some states that don't have a lot of public land for you guys that are trying to get your super slam. It's an, it's a Osceola turkey down in Florida. Anything that you need help with wild turkey related or heck, even bird related, if, if you want to go to Argentina and shoot doves, Tony's got your hook up. So, oh, and I can't really stress this enough about Tony. And here's what I really like about Tony's operation. He's a no-fee travel agent. So whether you book directly through the outfitter that Tony was going to put you in, or you go through Tony, you're going to pay the same price. And so people a lot of times say, well, why would I go to the middleman? Well, the reason you go through the middleman to get to the outfitter is because I will promise you, if you have a bad experience going through the middleman and you let the middleman know, that outfitter is going to bend over backwards to make sure you're happy because the outfitter makes money off of the middleman being Tony. And so, you know, if Tony's not happy or is having bad experiences with that outfitter, Tony's not going to sell hunts with that outfitter. So really, you guys don't have much to lose. You probably have less to lose going through Tony than you do just booking that trip on your own. Yep. I totally second that opinion. So y'all check Tony out. He's the man. I think you'll be happy with your product that you get. And while you're at it, just go ahead and friend him on Facebook. Like his page, World Slam Adventures, and follow him. Because you never know when he's going to have that hunt that you are just dying to go on. So, and heck of a nice guy, by the way, in case y'all couldn't tell that from the interview, which I think it was pretty dang obvious. So that's it. That's the favor for the week. Sounds good, man. We say we wrap this one up. Let's do it. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Roll Tide. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com 
to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.